Thank you, Carrie. Jesus Messiah has been our focus for these last weeks. There's a phrase in there as I listen to this song that just absolutely riveted my attention. All I hope is in you. So I just say that with me. All I hope is in you. Say it again. All I hope is in you. That's a pretty radical statement. If, if, if this was Jesus standing right here, his very presence right here that you could identify and see. What we're saying is that, that all my employment hope is in you. All my scholarship hope for next semester is in you. All the physical well-being, the health of my children is in you. All my retirement income, not in Wall Street, but in you. My, my dating relationship in you. All my hope is in you. It's an interesting perspective and one that we've really got to analyze to make sure that that is the truth and not just a phrase. Because, you know, Easter Sunday, we had a great time declaring that it's not over even when it's over. And that's a great emotional phrase to have on Easter Sunday morning until you have a sense and a feeling that it's over. Then do you really believe it's not over? And last week we looked at the fact that there's this cosmic warfare and that Jesus won that warfare. He wrapped it all up and then he, he's got it under control. Until that moment we, we, we feel like that what he has just done for us or to us or around us doesn't make sense. Ever get to one of those, you look at it and say, where is God in all this? doesn't make sense. He doesn't seem to be answering the way that he should be answering. Recently, a book has been released by Jason Berggren. It's entitled, Ten Things I Hate About Christianity. And in a very honest moment, this pastor... And, and, and former leader of a, a, a Christian band. It says, there are those moments that I hate the scriptures because I read them and they just don't make sense to me. Anybody ever read the scripture and it just doesn't make sense? And, and then he says, it makes this conflict because I read this thing about God so loved the world and yet then I see where children and women are slaughtered in warfare and I go, how, how, does, that, how does that equate? I don't like that part. He said, I, I hate prayer. Because sometimes I get an answer and sometimes I don't get an answer. And it, and it just doesn't make sense to me. When my son Chad was just a small kid, I tucked him into bed. And he had one of those moments he'd been contemplating life as a small child would contemplate life. And here I am, his father, his father figure, and, and his pastor, because I'm pastoring at that time. And, and he looks at me and says, Dad, if Satan is so bad... Why doesn't God just smush him? It's a great question. And being the mature leader that I am, I said, and I did say this, son, I want you to ask your Sunday school teacher that question. Look, if, if we are so godly and we claim that we're a godly nation and we've got people praying, why didn't God just invade Iraq before we had to? 
Why didn't he just show up on a white horse and flaming chariots and muscle-bound angels and, and take Saddam Hussein and just and, and suspend him over Baghdad and, 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 and tell him to bend over and touch his ankles and take this divine paddle and paddle until he cries? Why didn't he? Why don't you just make it clear? Why don't you remove all doubt? Why don't you, why don't you give us this under, undeniable conviction so that it's not questionable who you are? And when those people come to my door and they want to convert me to their religion and they tell me that Jesus could not be God, why do you put up with that God? Why don't you just make it clear? Why don't you give irrefutable evidence that just they'll go, whoa, yeah. See, the showdown in the desert dealt with that very issue. It is at this moment that Jesus has gone to the Jordan River and he is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes on him in, in, in a form of a dove and it's got to be more than just a bird landed on him. There had to be this, this, this spiritual awareness that there was something spiritual happening that the people were aware of and then this voice of God who says, this is my son. I'm so pleased with him. I love him deeply. And then immediately after that, this amazing story happens. And I want to take the entire scripture, so it'll be a little longer than I normally read to you, but I just I want you to see that. And if you want to look in your own Bibles, turn to Luke, the fourth chapter. There's a Bible in the rack in front of you if you want to use that. Luke 4, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And here's what Luke records. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, change this stone into a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. When I was in sixth grade, and, and some of you may remember this or have been part of this, I was part of safety patrol. Anybody here been part of safety? Remember those? With the white, the white belt? And so this is really cool because I was sixth grade. I was captain of the safety patrol. I think it was a red badge, and the lieutenants had blue badges, and everybody else had white badges. And, and I was in charge of everybody, which is really cool because in, in like, fourth grade and fifth grade, the way my dad cut my hair, everybody used to call me monkey ears. So now this was my revenge. I had power. And so as captain of the safety patrol, I got to tell everybody, slow down. You can't run. You go back and start over there again. You can't get on that bus right now. Stand in line. I'll tell you when you can go. So I was pretty cocky. I had power. Until that guy came by, and some of you may know him, some of you may be him. He liked sixth grade so much he'd been in it four times. He was a tough guy, a street fighter. So he came by and I said, slow down. He turned to me and said, 
what'd you say? I said, slow down. And I kind of pointed to the badge. He said, I don't have to. I said, yes, you do. I have the authority. I don't care what you say. What are you going to do about it? So then I got real cocky. I said, you know, if I didn't have this badge on right now, you and me right now, buddy. So before I knew it, he went to the gym, to the coach, because we had this thing when I was, when I was growing up in sixth grade at Wetzel Road Elementary School in Liverpool, New York. We had this deal where if students got in a fight, they, they, they would bring you to the gym. If guys got in a fight, they'd bring you to the gym, and the, and the, and the gym coach would, would put gloves on you, and you'd duke it out. And so next thing I know, the guy walks by and says, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, you and me, coach is ready. It freaked me out because here's a guy with, with, with street fight experience, and here I am with a badge and a bluff. That's it. I didn't show up. I didn't want to get pummeled. Now, look, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. He is not omniscient. He does not know everything. So when Jesus shows up, he's trying to figure out who this is too. He doesn't know if this is just a really nice guy because he's, he's heard word. He was either there or heard word that there's this voice that this is my son whom I'm well pleased. So he's trying to figure out this whole thing. And he's looking at this man and he's trying to figure out, is this a nice guy who God likes? Is this a theophany? Is this, is this a, an image of God on earth? Is this some hologram of divinity right here? Is this an angel with limited powers such as he has? He doesn't see the God badge on him, but he's not sure who he is. So he wants to know, who are you and how much power do you have? Because I'm not going to step into something where I'm going to get pummeled. And so because this is his home court, this is his home arena, he throws the first jab. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, change these stones into bread. Because you see, if you are the son of God, you're this God person, then years back when the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness for 40 40 years, you made bread for them every morning and you gave it to them. So if you're God, now in this 40-day experience of yours, do the same thing. Let's see it. Show me some bread. If you are the Son of God, here on this temple, the very pinnacle, throw yourself down and Son of God, have Daddy catch you. Show who you are. And if you are the son of God and you're not wearing the God badge, then you don't want to take me on, dude. Because I cause great hurt to all who are human. So you don't want to deal with this. So why don't you just tap out right now and we won't fight and I'll give you what you wanted. Take the easy way. But what he doesn't understand is that Jesus is entering with a force unrecognized and a power misunderstood in an amazing stroke of of power jesus chooses weakness to reveal strength jesus is in enemy territory and now he is in the most weakened condition a human can be he has not eaten for 40 days but what satan doesn't understand what we need to understand is that during those 40 days every day of every moment of every day jesus was saying this to the father I want what you want 
not what my desires want. I want what you want, not what my desires want. I want what you want, not what my desires want. I want what you want, not what my desires want. On and on for 40 days, so that when he had this head-on collision with Satan, he was already postured for this assault. And it was an intense assault. Author Philip Yancey describes it this way. He tempted Jesus toward the good parts of being human without the bad. To savor the taste of bread without being subject to the fixed rules of hunger and of agriculture. To confront risk with no real danger. To enjoy fame and power without the prospect of painful rejection. In short, to wear a crown, but not a cross. Later, the scripture says that Satan waited for more opportune moments. And later we know that Jesus heard this voice again. Same same temptation. Take the shortcut. Take the easy way. For he's having a conversation with one of his followers, Peter. And he just turns to Peter and he says, Satan, get away from me. For, for Peter has just said to Jesus, no, you're not going to be crucified. No, you're not going to go through that. You don't have to go through that. And Jesus recognizes that voice and says, no, I'm still on the same theme. Whatever you want, Father, not what I want. Whatever you want, Father, not what I want. Whatever you want, not what my desires want. He heard it again. He's singing on the cross and he's hearing these voices cry to him. You saved others, save yourself. You saved others, save yourself. And what he does is he lets go of his rights. He takes this form of weakness. He lets it go. His rights to do what? His rights to be God, to do God's stuff. His rights to call his angels that he created, those angels to come and take on some demonic powers and kick some demonic rear end. This is the creator who stepped onto the edge of chaos and said, let there be light. And wow, there was light. Who said, let there be plants, and there were plants. He who formed you, that one who could create anything he wanted to deal with the situation that he faced. And at this moment, he will not deal with it. He is his creator. So I thought about this week. I I thought about a film clip. I want to show it to you here in just a moment. It's from the, the, the movie Bruce Almighty. And it's this whole scenario where God comes, God being Morgan Freeman, which is really a cool God figure, and Morgan Freeman shows up to Jim Carrey and says, here, I want you to understand what it feels like to be God so you've got all my powers. You get to do what you want to do. And so Jim Carrey now, as Bruce, has all these powers to create whatever he wants to create to deal with his issues because he's selfish. That's what we would do. And there's this one great scene where he's been passed over for, for the anchor job at a news station, and, and so now he's going to get even, and so he's going to use his powers. And so in the moment that... that that Steve Carroll, who plays Evan Baxter, is going to have his debut on camera. Bruce uses his godly powers for no good. Let me show you. And now, Buffalo's number one news team. Good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News at 6. I'm Susan Ortega. And I'm Evan Baxter, and here's what's making news. A potential scandal with the Buffalo PD surfaced today when the mayor... To... <clears throat> when the mayor... Somebody get some water, please. <coughs> yeah, it looks like my new co-anchor may need a glass of water. I don't know. 
Jesus could have done that stuff. He could have. Do you find it interesting that when Satan attacked humanity for the first time, Adam and Eve, he said to humanity, can you be like God? And now when he attacks God for the first time, he says to God, can you be totally human? Because here's the issue. If you take off that badge, if you become totally human, then I've got you. I've got you in my place, on my court, my home team, and I will annihilate, annihilate you. But, and especially when Jesus takes this stance of weakness. But what he doesn't understand is that Jesus at this moment has decided that he will choose humanity infused with invited divinity. Because here's what Jesus is going to do. He said, I'm going to be human, but I'm going to invite God to give me the powers from his Holy Spirit to then give me the ability to take on this task. And then he said, I will show you as humans how to do this so that you know how to live. So therefore, when you pray, you pray, come your kingdom, be done your will. You go out to this dimension that is outside your limited dimension of life and you call for what God can do out there and you bring it and he infuses it into you. You, as followers of Jesus, you, have that divinity released within you. Come your kingdom, be done your will. That's why he then said, then you pray, give us this day our daily bread. I will not manipulate my way to that bread. I will not force my way to that bread. I will let you bring to me what I need today. So Jesus turns to Satan and says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I will take who God is and I will invite that to enter into my life and make me powerful because of his divinity, not because I take a, a stance of strength, but in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. See, this is not a matter of God showing up to throw the bully off the playground. And when he does, he says, okay, everybody have fun. This is God showing up saying in the very beginning, I told you that you would have dominion. I'm here to tell you how you can have that dominion. So I'll take my power. I'll put it in you and you beat up the bully and you take dominion over this playground. That's what I've designed for you. Now, if that's the case, that we have to choose this weakness to reveal strength, then we have got to proceed in the manner that he proceeded. And it's this way that Jesus chose anonymity to reveal presence. So what's wrong with asking about bread? Why should it be wrong for him to say, and why is it a temptation? Here, make this bread. Because you know that later on, Jesus is going to make bread and, and he's going to feed 5,000 people. No sin in that. And what about this thing of being thrown off, a, uh, off the, the temple pinnacle? What, what's the deal? That, is he afraid of death? No, because later he'll overcome death. So what's the issue with that? And this whole thing of taking the kingdoms now, because later he's going to be called king of kings. What is the issue? The issue is this. It is not the end result, but the process used to get there that declares what kind of Messiah he'll be. See, he could have chosen to be the popular Messiah. 
Hey, I can do miracles for you. I can make bread like the Romans do and give it to the citizens and they'll be happy. I can make all this bread. I can do miracle after miracle after miracle. And we have this mistaken identity in the world today or this mistaken idea that our identity is found in our popularity. If I can just be popular, then people will come. And and we brought that in the church. If we can have miracles in the church, people will come from all over the world and then Jesus will be seen and it'll be great. It'll just be wonderful. So we start having miracles and people start coming from other churches and other places and they pile in and the hotels fill up and we say, oh, that's great. Let's go down to the convention center. We can't hold everybody. So we go to the convention center. We have the miracles. Hey, let's bring in TV. Let's beam it all over the world. And so then we we have the miracles and we have the books and we go on the circuit and we have the television program and it's all so wonderful. Except Jesus would always say to those that he healed, quite frequently he would say to them, Why? Because his power is not to build a crowd. It is to heal an individual. Power moves only announce a kingdom. They never change one. There's a big difference. He said, I'm not going to be the popular Messiah. He could have been the religious Messiah. Because the rabbinical tradition was that when the Messiah comes, that's exactly where he would stand, on that temple. And our identity gets found in the fact that everybody wants to join us. This is the real religion. This is the real thing. Come be part of our group. And and the problem with religion is this, that it's people of common belief and common action. And if you want to be a part, you have to have the common belief and the common action. You've got to do it our way. And the problem with that is Jesus never bought into cliques. Because it always forced out the people, the very people he wanted to be with. And so the religious people would say to him, we don't want you to be part of our group. And Jesus said, oh, I don't want to be part of your group. And, and the people who were outside of the religious structure would come to him and say, we want to be part of you. And he said, oh, I like that. You can be part of me. So he's not the religious Messiah. He also decided that he wasn't going to be the thundering Messiah. Show up in your power and all the pomp and circumstance and people will bow before you. And that's why you're here, aren't they? Aren't you? Because they're going to bow before you. Let them bow before you. And Jesus said, no, I didn't come here to have them bow before me. I came here to wash their feet. So the religious leaders called that lame. So that's weak. And the Greeks They called it foolish, stupid. And Jesus said, I've come to be the suffering Messiah. And a movement grew. For Jesus to save others, he could not save himself. And in that process, we find his power. Because Jesus chose free will over forced will. And that is the strangest part about this Messiah. He gave us free will. I want to show you some friends that Pam and I made in South Africa. We have a picture for you here. Isaiah and Kudzai. Isaiah, we call him Izzy. They're married. They, they had a child while we were there. And they just recently, we just found out this week, had another baby. And they're wonderful people. And he's, he's from the Kosa tribe, is how I pronounce it in English, the Kosa tribe. How they pronounce it is, I can't even do it. My mouth's all, I can't get any moisture, but it's, Somebody click for me. I can't get a click out. Yeah, you click and then you go, Osa, do it. I got to do it faster than that. See, you're, you're, speaking, you're speaking this language. 
and I, and I would probably be able to tell you his last name, but it has way too many clicks, and I can't get a click out this morning because my mouth is all caught me. But it's an amazing, amazing tribe. So he was telling us about how he got married. And so he and, and Kudzai fell in love, and, and so he wanted to marry her. So here's what he had to do. He, he went to his parents and said, I want to marry Kudzai. So he couldn't go and ask for her marriage, hand in marriage. He had to send a representative. So he sends a representative over to Kudzai's family, and all the family gathers together. Now, the guy that he sent, because, because Izzy can't be there. He's not allowed there in this negotiation. So his representative is there, the entire family is there, and they begin to negotiate what it's going to cost for him to marry Kudzai. Because after all, the family has put so much into her education and into her clothing and her growing up. And so they need to be paid back for that. I like that. So they begin to negotiate how much it's going to cost. And so they go back and forth and negotiate. And finally, the immediate family settles on a price. You think they're done? Uh Uh-uh. Now the rest of the family gets to chime in. The uncle says, I want an iPod. Okay, you get an iPod. I want a MacBook. I want some Jordan sneakers. The whole family gets to negotiate. Isn't it a great system? So finally, they come to an agreement of what it's going to cost. His rep comes back to him and says, here's what it's going to cost. This is the negotiation. If you're going to marry Kudzai, it costs you this amount of money. In the old days, it was how many cows. But now in the modern days, it's, just, it's much more complicated. Is she worth this cost? He says, absolutely. So they're engaged. He worked for three years to get all of the stuff that he had to get to pay for that marriage. Three years he worked for her. And then they were married. It was a great conversation because he said, you know, when you work that hard and you do all of that, you don't very often think of divorce because you never want to go through that again. I think it's a great idea. This showdown in the desert is the difference between a shotgun wedding and love at any cost. This is what makes this so amazing. God does not show up to your life with a shotgun and put one in the chamber and say, okay, you varmint. You better worship me. You better love me. You better marry me now. I like the words of Philip Yancey when he says, God made himself weak for one purpose, to let human beings choose freely for themselves what to do with him. See, that is just so amazing. You get to choose what to do with him. We get free reign. I can choose to serve God. I can choose to serve me. I can choose to serve Satan. I can watch watch pornography or I can worship Jesus. I can abuse a family or I can save a spotted owl. I can do whatever I want to do. I can have 15 lovers or I can stay a virgin. I get to choose. God says, you get that choice. Why? I like the words of George MacDonald. I think you have it on your notes there. It says this. Instead of crushing the power of evil by divine force, instead of compelling justice and destroying the wicked, instead of making peace on earth by the rule of a perfect prince, Instead of gathering the children of Jerusalem under his wings, whether they would or not, and saving them from the horrors that anguished his prophetic soul, he let evil work its will while it lived. 
He contented himself with the slow, unencouraging ways of help essential, making men good, casting out, not merely controlling Satan. To love righteousness is to make it grow, not to avenge it. He resisted every impulse to work more rapidly for a lower good. See, the problem is this. Power can force obedience. But only love can summon a love expression in return. Jesus didn't say this. If I can perform miracles, if I can totally convince you, if I can wrestle you to the ground, then I'll draw all men to myself. He said, if I be lifted up, if I die for you, if I show you that expression of my love, if I give you everything that I have for you, it and that alone will draw you to me. The response of Jesus in in all of this puts God's reputation on the line because God said, I'll perfect the earth. And Jesus said, this is the way we'll do it. I will love these people into your kingdom. And my death is worth the cost of giving them the freedom to choose. The problem with that plan is that love can be rejected. We can ignore it. We can curse it. We can beat it. We can crucify it. Then use power. Well, the problem is this. That love, not power, only love, not power, can restore something broken. Only love hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I find it interesting with that approach that what seems to be a weak move on Jesus' part is described this way, that he goes into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. But when he comes out of this expression, this time, this temptation, it says he came out full of power. Jesus won the showdown at the desert. Not by popularity. Not by overwhelming force. Not by total conviction. But by a call of love. Now hear me clearly. He won us over by a call of love and that's all you're going to get from him because that's all you will ever need. been born again more times than I can remember. More times than anyone ought to, anyhow. Altar calls, raise your hand if you want Jesus in your heart moments, first time commitment prayers, then recommitment prayers. I've been slain in the spirit, and I was even born again at a Billy Graham crusade. Nothing ever seemed to stick. I am born again lazy. I cannot let go. Or It seems that I'm only able to let go for a brief moment. Then as soon as I sit back down, I grab back onto this stuff. Onto these things I hold in my hands. Every time I was born again, I really did want Jesus. Badly. I've come to find that it is very difficult to grab onto something when your hands are already full. 
My full hands are starving Jesus. I call this stuff in my left hand dirty. The stuff in my right, pretty. Dirty is basically my impure life. The abuse, the girls, the sex, the lust, the porn, all of it. Pretty is my successful life as an actor. My pride, my passion, my drive, my ambition. These two little handfuls have defined who I am. And as hard as I'm holding on to them, they are holding on to me, not letting me go. But there is this voice, a voice that calls me to let go, to let go and get out of the pew, to go and do something. It's 4 a.m. and I can't remember the last time it was that I slept. I keep pacing my apartment. My heart beats out of my chest and I can't calm myself down. This has been going on for weeks now. That voice, it's getting louder. Let go, it says. Let it all go. How, though? I'm not sure I can. If I let go of who I am, then who am I? Stop making sense. We then it comes. Like a quiet cloud, it comes. It doesn't tell me that everything is going to be okay. It doesn't quiet my heart. No instant peace, no tears, no soft music. In complete silence, it comes. Let go, the voice says. Let it all go. Follow me. He's a Messiah. He's not going to overwhelm you. And chances are you're still going to have questions about him and what he does. And to the people around you, he may not be very popular.
but he just comes out of love, a call of love to say, let it go and follow me. Power won't change a kingdom and power won't change your heart. Only love will do that. It's amazing to me that he didn't say to the disciples, go clean up and then come follow me. He said, come follow me and what needs to happen will happen. So this morning, I just wanted you to see this Messiah and tell you that we're on a journey. And on this journey, you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be with him. And when you hear that call, just let it go. Because he wants to be with you. So I can't think of any better way for us to end this gathering today than in the gentleness of this moment give you opportunity to let it go, to spend some time, to hear that call of love. So in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and Jenny's just going to play the piano. She's not going to sing or anything. She's just going to play to give you a moment for you not to focus on a song, but to focus on Jesus. And some of you may be following Jesus, but you've got some stuff you're holding on to. I mean, you've got some stuff in that dirty and even in that pretty that, that you just know he's telling you to let go. Some of you may be saying, I've, I've never had this relationship with Jesus. I'm, and what you need to do is just spend a little time saying, I, I really don't know you that well, but I want to put my faith in you, I think, so guide me. And if that's you, spend some time just talking to him like you talk to a friend. And then before you leave, stop by our information desk in the back. We have a gift that will help you on that journey. Just say, I want the gift the pastor was talking about. And if you have any questions, they'll talk to you about that too. So I, I want you to leave here in just a moment just refreshed with the fact that he didn't come to overpower you. He didn't come to make you do anything. He came to love you and would want you to want to love him because that's the Messiah. And that's the great joy. He loves you that much. So would you stand? Let me pray a blessing over you and then quietly those who would like to just spend a little time talking to Jesus, just come and just stand here. And those that are going to be leaving, just do it quietly, please, so that we don't disrupt these here. So may you in your journey today discover Messiah. May you hear his call to be with you. To help put your life perfectly together. He is the one who sings over you. He is the one who dances over you. He's the one who takes great joy in you. Whose love is so deep that you have no sin that would go deeper than that love. Whose forgiveness is so complete that not only does he forgive, but he forgets and cleanses the conscience. So may you discover the lightness of his joy, the lightness of his presence. And may you find that love so appealing and so real and so truthful that whatever else is in your hand, you let go, that you may grab hold fully of who he is. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now quietly, if some of you would like to come, just make your way here.
and we'll have this attitude of worship for a while for you. God bless you.